0: Into the second half of this year anyone like me yeah all right let's pray father God we thank you today for your grace and your goodness Lord today we're here to honor you to worship you to connect with you as we gather together and I pray Lord that the reality of your love your grace your mercy your goodness your divine purpose and plan for each one of our lives As we navigate this moment in time, each and every one of us, individually and together, I pray, Lord, for grace for today. I pray for hope for tomorrow. I pray that faith would rise in our hearts. And Lord, as I share the word this morning, may we sense your spirit speaking to each and every one of us between every word, between every sentence, between everything that I say. Lord, above all, may your voice be the one that we hear today. We look to you, and we honor you and worship you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. Let's give our worship team a hand and thank them. Good to have Daisy George with us here all the way. Well, she's she's a, she's a an original all the way from here, but she's living in... Uh, In uh, Tennessee, she's living in Nashville right now and visiting. So good to see her. Been a part of our church from the very beginning. How old were you when you first started coming here? Like 14 years old, or you were nine years old? So, and then next Sunday we uh, are, next Saturday we celebrate our 16th birthday. It's our um, what do you call it? Your golden birthday. Uh, It's the 16 years on the 16th, and uh, so it's pretty amazing to think that all that's transpired over those years and many hundreds, thousands of people that have been a part of our church, many of whom are in different parts of the United States, different parts of the world, who have been a part of our journey, and we're very thankful for each and every one of those people that have helped us along the way, and I'm believing God for great things for the future, for the next generations. Uh, We're a church that's always thought generationally. Um, I think every church should have every generation in it, Uh, not just young people. I was thinking about our church over the years, you know. When we first started, we just started, it seemed to be all Bible college students and and young people you know, young 18-year-olds, and then their parents heard about it, and then their parents started coming, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and then we became known as the skinny jean church, Um, you know, that was in the day, and you know, yeah, they're the skinny jean, and they're they're the hipster church, and, and then, you know, and then it goes on and on, and we all go through those seasons, but thank God for his faithfulness, thank God for your faithfulness. Uh, over the years, and next year next uh, Sunday of course we 'll be taking a moment to celebrate that but what better way than to have baptisms uh, on our 16th birthday? If you know someone who hasn 't been baptized would like to be baptized we 'd love to baptize them they don 't have to go through any procedure we 'd love to give them some literature and help them uh, but if you know someone, uh, get a hold of them and uh, you know, I told Di, I'm not marrying you until you're baptized. Uh, just, uh, that I'm, I'm dead set serious because she grew up in the Anglican church and she got sprinkled. I said, I'm not marrying you until you're fully immersed. So I made sure I baptized her. She struggled, but I pushed her under. She stayed under and she got fully baptized, fully immersed. Um, but make sure that you do Uh, get the word out, encourage people to come. It's going to be great. A great time for us to gather as a church. Focal point. That's what we're all about. We're all about Jesus. Thank you for that great response. I thought we're all about, that's what we're all about. We're all about Jesus. We're all about new life. And uh, so it's going to be great. Uh, 8.30, gathering, 9 o'clock, baptism. We want to get in there early before the crowds, Pirate's Cove going to be a good, good morning. One thing I would love to do uh, is to ask you to pray for uh, Doug and Jeannie French. Jeannie's sister went to be with the Lord yesterday. She passed away, and uh, we want to extend our love to them. Um, They're not here this morning, but uh, pray for them. Uh, Pray for the family. And pray that God will really presence himself and surround them uh, with His love and grace at this time of loss, so please have them in your thoughts, have them in your prayers. that would be great um, well I want to I want to do bring part two of a series that I started, and i it's kind of I looked at my dates and I started it on the 12th of June. Uh, And between then, we had Father's Day. Between that, I was away in the UK for uh, one Sunday. Um, Giancarlo spoke then. I've heard nothing but rave reviews about Giancarlo's message. And then last week, it was uh, 4th of July weekend, I talked about uh, um, fight the good fight, things that we have to fight for in life. So I want to bring part two of this series called Living Stones. Living Stones. And uh, I'm reading from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to read it from my Bible. How many people uh, listen to the word on your iPhone? Anyone? Anyone? how many people read the word on your iphone how many people have a, a bible and you read it from the pages of the bible okay we need a revival of the bible a revival of the physical bible so 1 peter chapter 2 and verse 5 <laughs> my wife writes notes in my bible uh, from time to time, and I have one here. It says, I love you, April 27th, 2010, Louisiana. Well, she loves me in California, loves me in Louisiana, loved me in that decade, loves me in this decade, and my Bible may be falling apart, but I'm not. 1 Peter chapter 2, um, <clears throat> verse 4. This is Peter, the apostle, speaking. He said, Coming to him, coming to Jesus, to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want us to think about that verse that Peter wrote. He said, you also. Who's he referring to? The also refers to Jesus. Jesus is the living stone. And then Peter says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. I want to encourage you to think about that this morning as we focus on this text. First of all, God is speaking to us through his word. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to you. You are like living stones. The good news is that we're living today. The good news is that God is referring to us as stones, which is the main ingredient for construction and building, which means that God sees the potential in us to build something through us. However we may feel, however worthy we may feel or unworthy we may feel, however much we're struggling, however much we're aware of our failures and our faults and Carlos talked about how we can trust God, even in the times when our life seems to be a mess. God sees us as a living stone, someone that he can build with, someone that he can build through. And he goes on to say, Peter says, goes on to say, and he is building you and he's building me together into a spiritual house. That is not a physical building, but a spiritual house that God is building for his glory. And as we focus on those thoughts and as we think about those thoughts, I want to take a moment to to go back to um, many years prior to Peter's writing this when Peter himself had a revelation of who Jesus was. And when you see Peter writing about the living, that we are like living stones being built into a spiritual house, you can see that Peter had a unique revelation about the house that God was building, about the church that Jesus is building, about how we are stones that God is using to build his house for his glory. Because on the slopes of Mount Hermon, it was Peter himself when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And then asked, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus turned to him and said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, you are Peter. Peter in the Hebrew means a stone. And on this rock, meaning Christ, the rock, And the revelation of Christ as the rock upon which we build our lives. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I imagine that that moment, Peter went over and over and over that moment again and again and again in his mind because it was a significant moment. It was a moment when he was declaring who Jesus is. And it was a moment when he had a a divine revelation that not only transformed and changed his life, but was a revelation that we are talking about and that you and I have experienced all these millenniums afterwards. And so when Peter says, you're living stones who are being built into a spiritual house he's directly referring to this revelation that he had about how Jesus said to him you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church with people stones like you and I and I will build my church Peter had a revelation of that and I talked in the first part of this message on the power of a revelation and how important it is that we have a revelation of who Jesus is, because everything that Jesus does is built on a revelation of who he is. As I was preparing for this yesterday, I was thinking about significant people in history, and I looked up some quotes of people who had, who had said significant things about Christ being the Son of God. Some of these, a couple of them are, uh, one of them is predictable. C.S. Lewis, of course, who was a believer. He was a a Christian who wrote, of course, the Narnia Chronicles and many other books, uh, Mere Christianity and many other classics that he wrote. He said this about Jesus, about who Jesus is. He said, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. C.S. Lewis was saying either Jesus was who he said he was or he was a madman. He was declaring what Peter declared. Jesus is the Christ. A couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, I was in the UK in England and I visited a house of uh, an estate of a friend for a, a, a motor racing event. It's become a very big event. Uh, event around the the world, um, the Goodwood Festival of Speed. And Charles, who started this, was a school friend of mine. We went to school together, got up to a lot of trouble together. And uh, he, uh, on the day after, we went into his library where he and I used to listen to rock music very loud. Uh, on, on a, his father's sound system and it's a library that has books that go back hundreds of years and a friend of ours who was there said to London who was with me why don't you go and sit in that chair over there at his desk and uh, she said why she said well that's Napoleon's chair and it was the chair that Napoleon sat in when he was, uh, con- uh, when he was the general over his troops at Waterloo and it was captured at Waterloo and taken back And it's there in his house. So London sat in the chair and I took a photograph of her in Napoleon's chair. So I thought to myself, okay, what am I going to... Let's see what Napoleon said about Jesus. Well, this is what Napoleon said about Jesus. He said, the gospel is not a book. It's a living being with an action. A power which invades everything that opposes its extension. What a proof of the divinity of Christ... With an empire so absolute, he has but a single end. This, he has but a single end. The spiritual amelioration of individuals, the purity of conscience, the union to that which is true, the holiness of the soul. Christ speaks, and at once generations become his by stricter, closer ties than blood, by the most sacred the most indissoluble of all unions. What an amazing statement. From what I would have thought an unlikely source because I grew up with Napoleon as always being our enemy. But Napoleon had a revelation of Christ. Elvis Presley, there's a movie come out about him just now. Elvis Presley, who was called the king, said, I'm not the king, Jesus Christ is the king. I'm just an entertainer. (laughs) While I was in England and I was having a a kind of a reunion with my friend Charles and and another friend who we went to school together, Um, we were chatting about people that we went to school with. And in our conversations, I discovered that Justin Welby, who is now the Archbishop of Canterbury, in the UK was at school with us and we were at school together at the same time. I didn't know Justin. I think Charles, my friend, did. But uh, Justin was just another, another of the young people at school who ended up becoming the Archbishop of Canterbury. And if you're not familiar with... Uh, who the Archbishop of Canterbury is, he is the head of the Church of England, or the Anglican Church. He's the equivalent of the Pope, because if you go back to the days of Henry VIII, Henry VIII uh, wanted to divorce his wife, and the Pope wouldn't let him divorce his wife. So what did Henry VIII do? He divorced the Catholic Church. And so he divorced the Catholic Church, and there was a separation between the Catholic Church and the Church of England, and the Church of England no longer was subject to the authority of the Catholic Church. There was a division that took place at that time, which in actual fact, when you look at the, uh, the, the end result of that, was something very positive, that the Church of England, the Protestant Church, became... Free from many of the things that have been hindering or uh, the, the Catholic Church, that is no comment on the Catholic Church, just a historical observation. but anyway the 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 uh, Archbishop of Canterbury is the head of the Church of England, a significant significant role. And it turns out that I went to school with him. And so I looked him up on Wikipedia, as you do, to find out his story. And the reality is that when he was at school with us, he wrote this in a, in a recent article. He, he, said, um, he said, when I was at school, uh, I vaguely assumed there was a God, but I didn't believe. I wasn't interested at all. Then after he left school, he went to Cambridge University. And when he was at Cambridge University, he had a a friend who was a Christian who prayed with him. Think about this. Think about the, the potential that we have to pray with our friends who don't yet know Jesus and what that prayer, the difference that that prayer could make in their lives. He said, a friend prayed with me and he felt a clear sense of something changing. The presence of something that had not been there before in my life. And that was the beginning of a turning point where he began to turn. And he told his friend, he wrote this, uh, he, or this was quoted from a, an interview, he said, he said, he told his friend, please don't tell anyone about this. And he said he was really embarrassed about what had happened to him. And, uh, but during that time he he realized that he had had a moment of realization of self-realization a revelation that was a turning point in his life that jesus was the son of god jesus was the savior of the world and that and in that process he accepted christ as his savior and then felt a calling through a connection with a church in the UK, Holy Trinity, Brompton. He, he, he felt a calling to go into the ministry, ended up going into the ministry, and then became promoted and became the Archbishop of Durham, and then the Archbishop of Canterbury. And he has openly stated that every day as a part of his spiritual discipline, he prays in tongues. He's baptized in the Holy Spirit, prays in tongues, and I just thought about that for a moment. This was someone I went to school with. I may have been in the same classes as him and didn't, didn't even acknowledge it. This was his journey. This was my journey. I was at school at exactly the same time and really didn't have a revelation of, of the reality of Christ as my Savior at that particular point in time, just like him. But he had a revelation in 1975. I had a revelation in 1978, and it changed the course of my life. It changed the course of his life, and it can change the course of your friend's life. And I'm wondering today, as I thought about that story, as I thought about how our paths in life, uh, the things that happen, the moments that are, are turning points, just like that prayer when someone prayed with his friend, a conversation. An invitation to church that I had when someone said, do you want to go to church? And it was the last place I wanted to go, but I went with them, turned the course of my life and the trajectory of my life. And every one of us has the potential of being that friend. That friend, through an invitation, through a moment, through a conversation, can be the the agent, the one that God uses to turn someone's life and turn them towards God and bring them to a place where they would have a revelation of Jesus. That's Jesus calling me. He knows I'm talking about him. I love that story because it just reminds me of really what is most important in life. Jesus said that he would build on the revelation that we have. So I want to continue with this with three premises that we're, we're going to talk about. And next week I will continue with this because there's no way that I'm going to complete this. Uh, all of this today. But the first thing I want us to think about is, number one, God is a builder. God is a builder. If you want a a title, a subtitle to this message, it would be the master builder. God is the master builder. That's the first thing that we have to understand. God's a builder. Everything that God does, he builds. He builds generationally. He builds his kingdom. He builds his church. Have you ever stopped to think, or I'm sure you have, but when was the last time you stopped to pause and ponder and look at God's creation and just think, how did God imagine? How did God think us into being? You think about the complexity of our physical being. Our emotions, our soul, our spiritual life. You, you look at the God's creation and you wonder at the, the amazing creativity of the God who, who created us. But everything that God does, he builds. He builds over a process of time. So number one, God is a builder. Peter is talking about that. He's building his church. He's building a spiritual house. He's building us. And whether you like it or not, he's building us together. And if you want to escape me in this life, you're going to find me in the next. So we're going to be together for eternity. He's building us together. Secondly, God wants to build us. Peter says, "He, you like living stones are being built. We are in the process of being built. God's building something in us. God's building something through us. So secondly, God wants to build us. This is what we read in Ephesians 2 and verse 10. For we are His, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In the Amplified Version, it puts it this way, For we are his workmanship, his own masterwork, a work of art. I'm not just. going to ask you to turn to them and say this to your neighbor, but the person sitting next to you is a work of art. Thank you for that underwhelming response. Created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which He set so that we would walk in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us. What an amazing passage of Scripture. There's a wealth of revelation that we can draw out of that passage of Scripture But the point that we are making is that God is a builder and he wants to build us. He wants to build our lives, spirit, soul, and body. And then Paul writes to the Philippian church basically saying that what God begins, he finishes being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I wonder how high your completion drive is. I have a pile of books that I've started and haven't finished. I have two books that I'm writing that I've started and I'm in the process of writing and haven't finished. God finishes everything that he starts. And he has begun a good work in us. He is working in us. He is building us. And he's going to bring it to completion. He's faithful. He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to down tools. He's not going to strike. He's, he's going to continue what he began. And then thirdly... God wants us to build with Him. So God is a builder, God's building us, and God wants us to build with Him. And so those are the three foundational thoughts that I want to build on as we look at this over the next couple of weeks. God is a builder. God is building us, and God wants to build with us. God wants to engage us in His work. God wants to engage us on his team. He wants us on his building site. He wants us to be reading his plans, the blueprint, the master architect, and he's building a spiritual house. And the church is not a building. The church is you and me. The church is the community of faith. It's not an institution. It's not an organization. It's not a building. It is a spiritual house. And we are spiritual beings. When I was going to the UK going to be seeing some people that I hadn't seen for 50 years and during those 50 years a lot's happened in my life. I don't look like I used to look, I don't do the things I used to do, I don't live my life the way I used to live my life and my, what I'm currently doing as a Christian leader, as a pastor in a church is very, very, very different from the tra- trajectory of my life back then. And I was very interested to see the spiritual climate of the country that I grew up in. Because I had never heard the term born again until after I'd left the UK and I was traveling as a hippie around the world and in India. I heard the term born again and I had to ask, what do you mean, born again? So I was thinking about how am I going to describe to someone who doesn't necessarily understand what it means to be a pastor. Because in the United States of America, when you tell someone you're a pastor, they're likely to say to you, that's awesome. But if you say to someone in, the United, in England, you're a pastor, they might say to you, what's that? They might know what a vicar is, or they might know, uh, you know the church or the clergy or a, or a reverend, but to a pastor. So I was sitting down at lunch one day, and I was speaking to someone. I had a great conversation with him. Turns out he's a Christian. I didn't know about it at the time. And he asked me, he's, he, I told him my story about how I had traveled to Australia. And he said, so what did you, beca- what did you do when you, you went to Australia? Did you become a sheep farmer? Because he said a lot of English people go to Australia, and they become sheep farmers. And I thought for a minute, and I said, well, as a matter of fact, I kind of did. I became a pastor. (laughs) And he laughed. He said, well, yes, you did. And it turned out that he was a Christian. And we had a great conversation and and very interesting conversation. And he, he in fact, knows Justin Welby, who I'm talking about, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury. But it was a very interesting conversation. But I was thinking about how would I describe to someone what I do? I'm a pastor. And when I boiled it down, I, 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 I came to, to this thought that what I'm passionate about is what we have always said in our church that we're passionate about. I'm passionate about connecting people to Christ. I'm passionate about connecting people to their God-given purpose and destiny. And I'm passionate about connecting people to life-giving relationships. And that, in a sense, when I think about my calling, I, am, I, I believe that my calling is to help people experiencing an awakening, an awakening of their spiritual life, an awakening of God and His magnificence and His love And the wonder of his purpose that he's put within each and every one of us. And that really, fundamentally, that's that's what I believe I've been called to do. So that just as Jacob awoke in the wilderness, and he'd had a dream in the middle of the night, and he said, he said, God is, surely God, how awesome is this place? Surely God is in this place. And I did not know it. And he had an awakening to the presence of God in the wilderness. And at the end of the day, when it comes to our lives, God is a builder. God wants to build us. But God wants to build with us. He wants us to be involved in the building of this spiritual house that that Peter is talking about. We are spiritual beings. We often talk about how we are body, soul, and spirit, and I've used that many times in the past, body, soul, and spirit. Well, I've reversed that now, and I talk now about God wants, to, God wants to work in us spirit, soul, and body, because primarily we're spiritual beings. When we go out into eternity, this tent, this frame that I am in will be left behind, but my spirit and soul will continue so God is calling us. God is calling us to build and he wants to build our spiritual lives. It's the most easily neglected part of our life. My body is extremely demanding. I get hungry. I get tired. I feel pain. I have aches and pains. I have to deal with my flesh. You do too. It's extremely demanding. It reminds me of itself every single moment of the day. My soul is very present. My thoughts My feelings, my emotions are continually running through my mind, my psyche, very present all the time. My spirit, which is the central hub of my life, the most important part of my life, is the one that I have that is the least demanding of all, and the one that I have to play. Pay most attention to. Giancarlos was up here earlier and he was talking about how easily we're distracted and we're thinking about this and we're worrying about this, but the importance of taking time to be still, to come together, to focus on God. That's why Sunday morning is such an important thing because it's a point of reference. It's a time when we come, we're still, we honor God, we give him that first place on the first day of the week. But our spirit, that's the part I have to work on the hardest. It's the hardest. I can get into a routine. I can get on the elliptical. Yeah, I went to England. I ate a lot of food. I've got to get on the elliptical. I've got to get off the carbs. I've got to get back on the treadmill. Uh, I, I can do that. But my spiritual life and my spiritual disciplines, those are the things that are maybe the least demanding but the most important. And so Paul uh, Peter, rather, is saying he's building us. He's building us into a spiritual house that he wants to be for his glory. You see, every one of us has a void in our li- has a has a place in our lives that until until Christ fills that, it's a void. It's empty. I remember as a kid, I I, I, I there was always something missing. There was a part of my life that was a void, something that was missing in my life until I had that revelation, until I had that revelation of Jesus, until I had that awakening, until I had that experience with Christ. That void was empty. And when Christ came into my life, my life was filled with purpose, with a sense of divine and eternal destiny. My life was transformed but it came from my spirit first. We are spirit, soul, and body. And when we have that revelation that we are a part of the body of Christ and we are connected together, whether you like it or not, we're connected. We're a part of the body. Paul talks about the body of Christ, that Christ is the head, and we all are different parts of the body, each with different functions. Each of us with different skills, different giftings, different abilities. And we're part of something that is greater than ourselves. And so when we have that revelation that God said, I will build, and that, God sa- and that we have the revelation that we are being built, and we have that revelation that we must build, I want you to think about that. God said, I will build. We need to know we are being built and we must have that sense of urgency within us. We must build. And as we think about that, I want to leave you with these three overarching thoughts, these questions that I will answer next week. My answer to these questions, these thoughts, think about them. In light of everything that we've talked about, Number one, here's the first question. Am I being conformed or transformed? Number one, am I being conformed or am I being transformed? Second question, in light of everything we've talked about, God is a builder. God is building in me, in you, and God is building through us, And with us? Am I being conformed or transformed? Second question Am I building randomly or intentionally when it comes to my spiritual life? Am I haphazard or am I intentional? Am I building randomly or intentionally? And then thirdly, am I building according to God's pattern or according to my own? Three fundamental questions that we all need to ask ourselves. Am I being conformed or transformed? Am I building randomly or intentionally? Am I building according to God's pattern or my own way? And when we answer those questions, we, can, we find ourselves in a place where God can build and God will build our lives in such a way that he will build for his glory. I'm going to ask the worship team to come now as we close, but I want you to think about this for a moment. I want to leave you with this parting thought. Those questions, think about them this week. Ponder them, and then I'll share some of what I came up with as I pondered those questions and asked those questions. There's a very interesting um, there's a very interesting um, description of how Solomon's temple was built. And when David wanted to build the temple to God, God told him, "You can't build the temple, you've been a man of war. Solomon, your son, who is a man of peace, he will build the temple." And so Solomon begins to build. Make preparation for building the temple. And God tells him, when you build the temple, you must quarry the rocks or take the rocks from a quarry that is far enough away from the site of the temple where you will, where it is the sound of the stones being dug out and quarried and chiseled will not be heard at the site of the temple." Well, There's an interesting thought. Why on earth would it be a problem for there to be the sound of hammer and chisel and a worksite right close to the temple? Apart from the fact that I seem to live in a street where everyone takes it in turns to do construction, and our houses continue, my cars are continually with covered in dust. I continually have to deal with the noise, and I think we should have a neighborhood meeting, and everyone agreed to do all the renovations at the same time. But that's not part of my story. God said, I want you to do it far enough away that the sound of the chisel, the hammer, and the rocks being hewn is not heard. And Peter's saying, we are those stones. So God is working on the material for the construction of his house, but it's far enough away from the site of the temple where it cannot be heard. And the reality is, for you and I as living stones, God is working on us. And sometimes there's the sound and the hard edge and cutting edge of a chisel that we feel at work in our lives chiseling away the rough edges chiseling away and shaping us so that we can begin to take shape according to God's design and it is painful and it is difficult and it is hard But God's preparing us for something. And the sound of that work, when we go, ouch, when maybe we complain, maybe maybe we cry out to God and say, God, where are you? It's okay in the quarry because that's where the work's been done. But when the work's being done, God is going to take you and me, and He's going to place us right in the place that He wants us to be. And that is not just for time, but it's for eternity. Because the work that God is doing in us and on us right now in that quarry is not just so that we can take our place where He wants us in His spiritual house that He's building— but the spiritual house that he is building is an eternal house. And whatever God does in us, and whatever we allow God to do in us here on earth, whatever we allow God to do through us here on earth is preparing us for what he has for us in eternity. And I want to encourage you today. Maybe you feel like you're under the, under the pump. Maybe you feel like the chisel's going in. Maybe you can feel the weight of the hammer on your life. Maybe you can feel like someone's just stuck a crowbar in you and prizing uh, you. Uh, or whatever it may be, God is at work, and He is at work for a greater purpose. And we can know that God's workmanship is always perfect, that the work of the Holy Spirit in our life can be the balm, that can bring the oil, that can bring healing that can bring grace so that we have the grace to manage and be able to to manage the different seasons and challenges and difficulties of life. God is at work. We're in process. We're a work in process. And God has a plan for our lives. And every painful experience, every painful moment, every difficult step along the way, God can use it for his glory because he has a divine purpose and he is the master builder. Can you say amen to that? Would you stand with me for a moment as we close?